So let's keep Super Church here just for a couple of more minutes, okay? Because we're going to do something that I want them to experience as well. I want them to see that we lift high the public reading of the Word of God. We're in Genesis chapter 8, and I want to invite you to open your Bibles there. It's a continuation of Noah's story, and it's a little difficult to organize into a preaching message because it's just kind of all over the map. And so I want to do something a little bit different this morning, and I have asked Jim if he would come and read for us Genesis chapter 8 so we get a picture of what it has to say. Go for it. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and water subsided. The fountains of deep of the depth and the windows of heaven were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained, and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated, and in the seventh month, on the seventh day of the seventh month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the tenth month. In the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. And at the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent forth a raven. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot, and she returned to him to the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand, and he took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from earth. Then he waited another seven days and set forth the dove, and she did not return to him anymore. In the six hundred and first year, in the first month, the first day, Of the month, the waters were dried from off the earth. And Noah removed the covering from the ark, and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the twenty-seventh day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, Go out to the ark, you and your wife, and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you, Of all flesh, birds and animals, every creeping thing that creeps the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. When the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. Thank you. Genesis 8. Thank you, Jim. Let's pray together. Father, we bow before you 
and ask that you would use this portion of your word to speak to the hearts of all who are listening. May your spirit have absolute freedom and control uh, in this place, and may we land where you land and say what you would want us to say, and we ask that you would give us teachable spirits, and we pray that in Christ's name. Amen. So, so if after having read that, you might be able to see that it's a little bit difficult to put into a nice little outline so that it would just preach um, uh, extremely well. So I want to do something a little bit different this morning. What I want to do is I want us to take away four lessons from Genesis chapter 8. I'm not saying they're the only four lessons of Genesis chapter 8, but these are the ones that the Lord impressed uh, me with. Four lessons from Genesis chapter 8. So let's just get started. Uh, And they might not flow together, um, but uh, I I think we're going to see where they come from. The first lesson that I see in Genesis 8, a little bit of chapter 7 and verses 8, is this. If God says he's going to flood the earth, he's going to flood the earth. All right? And he had told Noah that he was going to do that. Um, He means what he says. Actually, it isn't just that he means that he was going to flood the earth. Whenever God says something, he means everything that he says. It isn't just Genesis chapter 8. It's chapter 1 all the way through the end of Scripture as well. At first, Noah was the only one to believe it. And then in time, his sons and their wives, both Noah's as well as the sons' wives, believed that God was going to flood the earth as well. And eventually, everybody that was on the earth believed that God was going to flood the earth. It was too late for repentance and belief. Um, God's judgment had come, and it was too late. But it says in verse 24 of chapter 7, as well as in chapter 8, verse 3, the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. And that would be five months. And I say that leaning on a Hebrew calendar of 30 days per month. And the reason I say that is because Moses is attributed with putting together Genesis Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and he either received it uh, from dictation from the Lord, or he compiled it, and there are some who think that Seth's line, that was a godly line, continued to take notes about what was going on and what God was doing in the world, and they wonder even if Noah's sons might have written some of his story. Either way, um, we recognize it's scripture, and Jesus acknowledged that, and that helps us as well. But working on a 30-day calendar, that would be five months that the water um, stayed on the earth. Everything God says, everything God says is significant. It's noteworthy. It's important. And we need to have ears to hear um, so that we acknowledge and lock into what it is that he says. It's wise to align my life according to what God says uh, in his word. His entire word falls into that category, but certainly um, these four things as well. And just like Noah's day, there are some today who believe God's word, and there are others who don't believe God's word. But in the end, everyone will believe God's word. Every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so in time, everyone will believe, though they might not be categorized as a believer, as God's child. I wanted to list four things that came to my mind that are significant truths from Scripture that are God's Word that are significant and important and noteworthy for us to recognize and align our life uh, underneath. 
The first one is, there is a resurrection. Not just Jesus' resurrection. There's going to be a resurrection for everyone. For everyone, John chapter 5, verse 28 says. The just and the unjust. So it isn't just, I follow God, I love God, I'm going to follow Jesus, I'll be resurrected. Even those who choose not to are going to be resurrected as well. The time to receive God's grace and mercy is before that resurrection. And Jesus will come again and receive his own unto himself. He promised that. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I tell you a mystery. A mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound. The dead will be raised imperishable. We will be changed. Therefore, therefore, he says in verse 58, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Because there is a resurrection day when Jesus will come and receive to himself those who are his followers, he says we should be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. It's a word from God. Just like Noah got a word from God, I'm going to destroy the earth. It's going to rain 40 days and 40 nights. This is a word that is trustworthy from God as well. There is a resurrection. As in the days of Noah, there is also a coming catastrophic day of God's judgment. That's another word from the Lord that's significant that we need to have our ears perked up to and pay attention to. Um, It's coming, I believe, in the near future. It's referred to as the day of the Lord or that day or that great day. And it doesn't mean a 24-hour period. It's a day of the Lord, a time frame. And in it, the earth and all therein will experience God's wrath towards sin and his mercy toward those who repent and believe and we find in Daniel chapter 9 that it wraps up the whole sin process that's part of the plan of God for the day of the Lord the day of the Lord it says in first Thessalonians chapter 5 will come as a thief in the night Luke Jesus said in Luke 21 take heed to yourselves lest your heart listen to this take heed to yourself lest your heart be weighed down with carousing and drunkenness that, not, that might not be the vast majority of us here, but it could fit for someone as well. Take heed lest your heart be weighted down with carousing and drunkenness and the cares of this life. My car, my house, my bank account, my retirement. My you fill in the blank. It doesn't mean we don't pay attention and appropriately we will give the right amount of attention. But be careful that you're not weighted down. And this is the, the vast majority of the things that I think about. You be careful that you're not weighted down with carousing and drunkenness and the cares of this life. And that day, that day of the Lord, and that day come upon you unexpectedly. It's going to happen. Believe it not believe it, it's going to happen, and then you will believe it. Matthew 24, Jesus said, Therefore be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. Some, some statements that Jesus or that God has given us that are trustworthy statements, there's a resurrection, there's a catastrophic day of judgment coming that's similar to but different than what happened in Noah's day. Another one is this. Jesus urges us as his followers, he exhorts us, Store up treasures in heaven. We have a bank account. We go to it. You use a debit card based on the money that you've got in your bank account. We get that. But Jesus said, hey, 
Store up treasures in heaven where moth and rust can't, can't destroy it, where thieves can't break in and steal it. Um, and how do I do that? By serving God and using the gifts that he's given me, by giving to his cause, by investing in the lives of other people, being led by his spirit, directed by his word, so that I'm storing up treasures in heaven. If you ask me, Jerry, how much do you have in your checking account right now? I could get pretty close. Not exact, but I could get pretty close. Let me ask you this. What do you have in your heavenly storage bank account? Are there any treasures that you have in heaven? Yes, it's God's goodness and his grace that allows us to do that, even his giftedness. But it's a trustworthy, significant statement that God has given us. And then the last one of these that I wanted to mention is this, you must be born again. And we know that and we hear that often. You must be born again in order to be adopted into the family of God. God is the one who loves you, John chapter 3, and initiates your spiritual birth, but you must be adopted into the family of God or you're going to encounter his devastation and his wrath. It's going to happen. Those are trustworthy statements. They're not, by far, they're not the only trustworthy statements in Scripture. Everything Scripture has to say is God's word and is trustworthy, but those seem significant. In light of that, it seems wise for us that we must be born again, that we would all heed the words of 2 Corinthians chapter 13 from time to time, and that's that we test ourselves to, to make sure that we're in the faith, that we don't allow our hearts to deceive us or religiosity to deceive us, but we allow God's word and his spirit to penetrate our heart God said he was going to flood the earth and he did he's worth his word I want us to have the idea uh, of I want us to have also the idea of the time that Noah spent on the ark uh, underneath this God God said he was going to flood the earth and so I'm going to throw a slide up little by little and this is going to just kind of highlight what Jim just read to us time that Noah uh, 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 spent on the ark highlighting some of, uh, some of it to help us understand about the ark and the time that he was there. In chapter 7, verse 11, the flood started in the 600th year of Noah's life. It says it was the second month, the 17th day. On verse, in verse 17 of chapter 7, it says that it rained 40 days. There were 40 days of flooding. Chapter 7, verse 24, chapter 8, verse 3 tells us that the water remained on the earth for 150 days. That's five months. That's a lot of rain. We're not talking about a little bit of rain like what we had this morning. We're talking about the fountains of the deep being opened up, the windows of heaven being opened up so that there was a flood and it remained 150 days and it covered the entire earth. If it didn't cover the entire earth and God said that he's never again going to do that that would mean any flood that we have around our world that would make God's word untrue just another piece of 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 evidence that helps us recognize that it was a universal flood in chapter 8 verse 4 it says the ark rested on Mount Ararat on the seventh month the 17th day now this is kind of interesting and I wanted to at least mention this the Passover also happened on the seventh month And it was the 14th day that they were to sacrifice the Passover lamb. Three days later, the 17th of that month is when Jesus would resurrect from the dead. Passover we find in Exodus chapter 12, the 10th plague was the death angel. And Jesus raised from the dead on the 7th month, the 17th day as well. And then God said, this is going to be the beginning of months for your year. So he changed their calendar as a result of that. The ark rested on the Mount of Ararat on the seventh month, the 17th day. Chapter 8, verse 5, they saw the tops of mountains 
ten month, on the tenth month, the first day. So that's about two and a half. That's about two and a half months later that they continued to stay on the ark, even though it was rested on Mount Ararat. Chapter eight, verse six. Forty days later, they still aren't off of the ark. Noah released a raven. The raven just flew around and never came back. Probably on the same day, though it doesn't say it specifically, probably on the same day he also sent out a dove, verse 8. No time frame is mentioned, but the dove went, had no place to rest, so it came back likely that same day. A lot of specificity here. A person who chooses to ignore the flood is ignoring a lot of things uh, that are very specific in God's Word. And Second Peter chapter 3, and I'm going to read that towards the end of the message, tells us that there are those who purposely choose to ignore, uh, to ignore this flood. Chapter 8, verse 6, 40 days later, he released a raven. Uh, Verse 8, he sent a dove out. No time is mentioned. Verse 10, seven days later, he sent the dove again. This time, the dove came back in the evening with an olive leaf, and Noah knew that the waters were subsiding. They were beginning to go down. He waited another seven days, verse 12, and sent another dove, and this time it didn't return. And in verse 13, it says, in the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month the waters were dried from the earth from off of the earth he didn't get out of the ark yet he nor his wife nor his sons nor their wives either chapter 8 verse 14 and 15 says the second month the 27th day God said go out of the ark and so Noah went out of the ark so it's you almost sense a little caution there and I would understand that after God had rained for 40 days and 40 nights it had never rained before the water stayed there for 150 days and then all this other time had passed as well you can add up all the days or you can subtract and I did or you can subtract the beginning chapter 7 verse 11 from the time when God told Noah to go out of the ark chapter 8 verse 14 and you come up with a few more days than a year that was spent on the ark a 30-day calendar is assumed, like I mentioned, because, because Moses, Moses compiled these things. The flood started on the 17th day of the second month in Noah's 600th year. They didn't get off of the ark until the 27th day of the second month of his 601st year. No matter how you count it, that is a long time to be on an ark. We are not talking about a carnival cruise, okay? We're not talking about the Royal Caribbean. We're talking about Noah's ark. All right, and that's a long time for them to spend there, a little bit over a year. Noah would have gone from viewing, just try and perceive this, Noah would have gone from viewing the earth with all of the wickedness of mankind when he went into the ark that had affected the animal kingdom as well to seeing floodwaters coming down in massive amounts of rain, coming up from massive amounts from the fountains of the deep also being opened. Uh, Verse 16 of chapter 6 speaks about a roof. The ESV, Jim Jim Red, talks about a window. The idea is a skylight. He He would have been able to see the waters and no earth. All of a sudden, there is no earth, not all of a sudden, over months, there is no earth around me. It's all only water. Then he would have seen just the tops of the mountains. Then he would have seen an olive leaf in the mouth of a dove. And finally, he would see the earth that had been completely destroyed and changed by water with all that that means a year and a few days later, and now vegetation is beginning to grow again. And that amazes me all by itself, that after a year of of water, the land begins to dry up, and 
vegetation begins to return after having been flooded for a year. The other three lessons are much quicker, but the first one is this. When God says he's going to flood the earth, it's good to pay attention. And you know what he says? There's a day of the Lord that's marked as well. And it would be wise for us to pay attention. And the only way to avoid the wrath of God in the day of the Lord is through what we celebrated this morning, the blood of Jesus Christ that was poured out that we might be forgiven. The second thing that I think of when I read uh, Genesis chapter 8 is that God remembered Noah. Now I'm going all the, all the way back to chapter one, uh, verse 1, uh, but I'm going to move quickly. God remembered Noah. Not the way you and I remember, oh yeah, I need to go by the dollar store and pick up a gallon of milk on the way home. It isn't that kind of a remember. That is a remember, but this remember is that he began to act on Noah's behalf, on Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wives, as well as the animal kingdom. It's not saying Noah was not in the, in the Lord's mind. Rather, it's saying God began to act on Noah's behalf. And we find that in other places in Scripture as well. Like God remembered Abraham before destroying Sodom and Gomorrah. He had had a conversation, the angel of the Lord, and he remembered Abraham, and he sent Lot out of Sodom before he destroyed it. Uh, God remembered Rachel, and we can find other examples in Genesis chapter 30. She was barren and couldn't have any children. She cried out to the Lord, and God remembered her, and he gave her a child. In Exodus chapter 2, we find God remembering his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob when he heard the cries of his people in Egypt. So it's not like, oh yeah, I remember to do that. It's I'm beginning to act on the word that I have given to my, to my children. And that's what he's doing with Noah here. God remembered Noah and all the beasts of the life, and the livestock that were uh, with him in the ark. God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven were closed. The rain and the heavens were restrained, verse 3, and the waters receded from the earth continually. When God remembered Noah and those that were with him, and the beasts and the animals and the creeping things and the bird. He did three things. He caused the wind to blow. He stopped the fountains that were gushing water upwards, and he closed the windows of heaven. And when God has said something, and then he remembers in the sense of he begins to act according to his word, things begin to happen, and they began to happen for Noah as well. He, uh, he caused a wind to blow that would bring the waters down. It's the wind to blow, and that could cause waters to evaporate. It's the same word, and it might be the idea that the Spirit of God, that was way back in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2 as well, um, that that was the wind that blew. Uh, but it could be just a, a physical wind. Um, and then he stopped the fountains, and he closed the windows of heaven also. When God has said something and he remembers, he begins to act. This is true of all of the truths that he's spoken to you as a child. Believe him in faith like Noah did and then take actions on the belief that you have that God has said something and he begins to move God remembered Noah the third thing I wanted to note is that when Noah got off of the ark Noah also remembered God what he did is he created an altar and he made sacrifices. Noah left the ark in verses 17 through 19 and I find it interesting in verse 19 that it says this the beasts the creeping things and birds, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. 
And so it's, you see this canine or this dog group, and they stuck together. And it's, it, you almost get the picture of they've gone through this trauma, and they had, and they wanted to stick together with those that were their own kind. And you find this bird group, and they stuck together with those that were of their own kind. And you find these reptiles, and they stuck together with those that were their own kind. And so they went out by families from the ark. It also, <clears throat> every animal that we have on earth today was represented in the ark. There might be different species or even a human manipulation or a crossbreeding of species. Um, Some have become extinct, like dinosaurs, because of climate and environment. Others are on endangered lists. An example would be the panda. I got to thinking, what would be an endangered species this day, these days? And so I looked up the panda. They were endangered. They've been, they've been, um, they're doing better than they were. And so now what they're called or considered is vulnerable. So we've got pandas. Um, but every animal that we have in the world today was at least represented on the ark with its DNA and the capacity that God had given uh, for it to be able to re- uh, reproduce. Noah remembered God. Verse 20 says this, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, he says some things, but I want to stop there and we'll deal with that in a minute. This is the first time the word altar has been used in Scripture. Though we have Abel making an offering unto the Lord, um, this is the first time that we find the word altar. Abraham also would build altars to the Lord and make sacrifices. Uh, Here, for sure, it's an altar made to the Lord, and then there was a burnt offering that was offered. Later, God would have Moses write about substitutionary sacrifices. They were pictures of what Josh mentioned, foreshadowing, ultimately, of Jesus and his sacrifice. Noah's sacrifice was a sizable offering. Do you remember how many pairs of the clean animals he brought on the ark? Seven pairs, male and female, of the clean animals he brought on the ark. Two pairs of the unclean animals. We don't have the specifics of what's clean and what's unclean. We do later on, so we can assume, maybe going backwards. Um, but he, he made a, an offering of every clean animal and some of every clean bird. If Noah offered both male and female in his offering, it would be one-seventh of all of the clean animals that existed. Now that's assuming, and the reason I say it's assuming is because they'd been on the ark for a year, and depending upon how mature they were, how old they were, maybe they reproduced. But when you think about offering one-seventh of all of what you have, if he offered male and female, that is a sizable offering. And we're talking about a real time consumer as well. He got off of the ark, and the first thing that he did was to make an altar and make an offering unto the Lord. And I have a question for us. What might have motivated Noah to make this sacrificial offering? We don't have that he heard a word from the Lord do this. What might have motivated Noah to make a sacrificial offering of one-seventh of all of the clean animals that you have. Maybe thankfulness. God had destroyed, maybe a combination. God had destroyed um, mankind. Other than the animals that were with him, everything had been blotted out. 
Maybe he was thankful to the Lord for the grace that he had found, the favor he had found. Maybe as well it's a declaration of dependence upon God. He's looking out now at a world where there used to be many, many people, lots of civilization, lots of animals, and now he has everything that's living, breathing uh, on his ark with him. Maybe it was a a declaration of dependence to the Lord. Maybe commitment, God, I am yours and only yours. Maybe absolute holy fear before God. God had just destroyed everything because of the evil and the wickedness. Maybe a holy fear of the Lord. Maybe a recognition that a substitution is needed because who am I? I know my heart and I'm sinful as well. And it's a foreshadowing of the Lord that would ultimately come. We don't have any regulations or specifics on how to make a burnt offering yet. That doesn't come until Moses writes it in Leviticus. Um, Later in Leviticus, he would give that. Uh, But Noah built this altar unto the Lord, and it seems sure that he gave of his very best. He had one, he had seven pairs of all of the clean animals, and he sacrificed unto the Lord. Before in chapter 6, the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. Now the Lord smelled Noah's burnt offering, and it was a pleasing aroma. What a difference we have from chapter 6 to chapter 8. The earth has been blotted out except for those that were Noah and those that were on the ark. But Noah was remembered by God, and then Noah remembered God and made a sacrifice. And then the last thing that I wanted us to notice is that God's covenant and command to Noah. Look at verse 21. When the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, Summer and winter, day and night, shall never cease. There's some things to notice about this covenant. Noah's offering seems to have triggered a response from the Lord. When the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, then he made this covenant with Noah. And I want us to see that this is an unconditional covenant. Do you know what an unconditional covenant is? It means his, God's word didn't depend on Noah. It didn't depend on his sons. It didn't depend on you and I. It's an unconditional covenant. It it didn't depend, it depended upon the Lord. God had made covenants, some some conditional, some unconditional uh, in Scripture. Um, He says in this one, I will never again curse the ground because of man. We remember the ground had been cursed as a result of Adam's sin that Noah was prophesied in chapter 5, verse 29 by his father Lamech. Um, out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from, out, uh, from our work from, and from the painful toil of our hands. And then he says this about this covenant, the intention of man's heart is evil from his, his youth. And that seems a little strange. It's almost like that would be a good reason to judge the world. And yet God is saying, because the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth, I'm not going to do that. Seems a little strange. At first thought, you might think this would be a good reason for God's judgment. But what it helps us see is God's compassion and his mercy and his grace. And he recognizes man needs help. 
as Noah needed help as well. And then he adds, neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, and the earth won't always remain, while the earth remains, seasons will continue. It doesn't say the earth will always remain. And listen to what it says in Second Peter. The day of the Lord, that day of vengeance in the future that we talked about in the beginning, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, the elements will melt with fervent heat, both the earth and the works that are in them will be burned up or laid bare. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, fire is going to dissolve them. What manner of person ought you be in holy conduct and godliness? Because of the judgment of God that happened, and we know is going to happen as well, Peter says, inspired by the Spirit of God, you should be holy. You should be dedicated unto the Lord. I should be. You should be as well. There are those who don't believe the flood account in Scripture, many actually, and Peter speaks of them as well. And this is just a couple of verses earlier. They will deliberately overlook. New King James Version says they will willfully forget this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of the water through the water by the word of God and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water it was flooded with water new king james version and perished by that same word the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored are stored up for fire being kept until the day of judgment that day that we talked about and destruction of the ungodly this morning and i was hoping he would and joshua read it we observe the Lord's Supper. This is a covenant that God made when Noah left the ark, sacrificed animals, and it was a sweet savor unto him. And he made this covenant, I will never again destroy, and the covenant that we just read. Jesus instituted a new covenant when he gave his blood. He, as they were eating, it says in Matthew, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. He took a cup. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink all of it, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. And I would say this to us this morning in light of the new covenant that Jesus instituted when he gave his body, when he shed his blood. Today is the day to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross for me, for my sin. Today would be the day to do that. Right now would be the time to do that. When you recognize, I have never called upon the name of the Lord, I've never received, as John 1.12 says, Jesus, the Lord, and his forgiveness for me, today would be the day of salvation. It is a take-it-to-the-bank statement just like God said, I'm going to cause a flood, and he did. It is a take-it-to-the-bank statement that there is going to be a judgment of the world in the future. And we don't know that we have tomorrow. We anticipate having tomorrow. But I'm going to be doing a, few, I'm going to be doing a couple of funerals one of these days. We don't know how long we're going to live. And if God is working in your heart, today would be the day of salvation. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. If you haven't received the Lord Jesus, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ right now.
where you're at. Call upon the name of the Lord. As many as call upon the name of the Lord, these will be saved. And, and, and it's, it's customary in churches that preach the Bible that at the end of a service there's an invitation. But listen, you don't have to wait for an invitation to call upon the name of the Lord. You call upon the name of the Lord because he's working in your heart. And when, he, and when you call upon the name of the Lord, um, you'll not be ashamed. You don't have enough animals to sacrifice to please God. And even if you did, Noah had Noah, Noah sacrificed at least one, maybe two, of every clean animal that existed on the ark. We can't bring that many animals into church, and I don't do that. But we don't have to do that because Jesus gave himself as a sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice. Amen? He's a, he's a great picture of what happened on the ark. And isn't it interesting that they, that they got stuck on that Mount Ararat on the day that Jesus would raise from the dead? What we see in the ark is we see a typology of God giving us a picture, a foreshadowing of what was to come. Believe on the Lord. It's absolutely critical. Let's pray together. Father, we bow before you. We ask that you take the lessons that we can learn from Noah and his story, not just chapter 8, but 6, 7, 8, 9, and apply them to our hearts. Help us see Jesus in the midst of it. And I pray, Father, for everyone in this place, for the, for the kids and the children that are back in the nursery and preschool, those that are in super church, those of us that are here, that we wouldn't just go through religious routine, but that we would enter into relationship with our Lord, by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that in Christ's name. Amen.